Hi, this is Ann Robertson, the Executive Director of the Massachusetts Bible Society, and this is the Spirit Walkers Devotion for Saturday, August 9th, 2008. It's actually longer today. You're getting a sermon rather than a five or six minute devotion. Uh, So if you didn't plan on that much time, you might want to pause and come back to it. You're getting a sermon because... Across this next week, I'm going to be up in Epping, New Hampshire, preaching every night and sometimes during the day as well, and doing Bible studies and in preparing eight sermons and four Bible studies for a week, I didn't have time to do anything else, especially this morning because it was only 11 o'clock last night that I learned it was eight sermons instead of seven sermons. So I've had to write one today instead of doing Spirit Walkers. So that's the sermon that you're going to get. The whole week's series is my series on the Ten Commandments. Uh, I, of course, had planned to finish with number ten on a week from Sunday morning and then learned I have to do a week from Sunday night also. So we have an eleventh commandment. Uh, We have the greatest commandment. And the text is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. The Ten Commandments were vitally important to Israel. They formed the basis of the covenant and became the foundation of Israel's first legal code. At Sinai, a bunch of ragtag runaway slaves became, if you'll forgive the phrase, one nation under God. As we have looked at each of those Ten Commandments across a week, we've seen a progression. The beginning commandments taught us about our relationship with God, to put God first, not to limit God by carving God's image into stone, either literal stone or ideological stone, and to be careful how we use God's name. From there, we began to move from the relationship with God to the relationship we have with others. First is the relationship we have with ourselves. We're to rest, to remember the Sabbath and show that we recognize that we are not the ones in charge of the world. That rest is for us and for all the extensions of us, family, employees, even animals. Then with our relationship with God and ourselves stable, we move on to our relationships with others and the concrete actions concerning them. We're not to kill them or to steal their spouse or property. And then the last two commandments turn our attention inward to watch the attitude of our hearts that can lead to destructive action. We're not to lie or to slander others. And we're to work to be content with what we have, rather than coveting the possessions, family, or success of others. And so the law sits for about 1,500 years. The law gets more elaborate as people naturally start to ask, well, when is it we can't kill exactly? And just what constitutes the work we can't do on the Sabbath? It can be pretty exhausting to walk to the next town for a visit, and so forth. By the time Jesus comes along, there are entire career paths devoted to the ins and outs of keeping the law of Moses. The Pharisees and the scribes are two of them. And the Pharisees and the scribes are beginning to get a bit worried that Jesus may be undermining their careers by teaching that the legal code has developed some flaws and therefore refusing to obey some of it. So they come to Jesus with a very pointed legal question, as we see in the text for today. Which commandment is the greatest? They ask for one, but Jesus gives them two, neither of which comes from the Ten Commandments. The first is from Deuteronomy 6, 
verse 4, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The second is from Leviticus 19.18, to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says that all of the law and the prophets can be summed up in those two commands. They don't come directly from the Ten Commandments, but as Jesus said, they do provide a nice summary of them. As we've just seen, the love of God, self, and neighbor is exactly what the Ten Commandments are trying to illustrate. The problem that Jesus was having with the law as it was lived in the first century was that the law itself had become the occasion of breaking the first of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. No idols. Well, the law and all its myriad details had become, in fact, more important than God. It was an idol carved in stone. Jesus kept trying to point that out, trying to say that the law was merely meant to represent what the underlying attitudes of justice, mercy, and love looked like in a given instance, that it was supposed to serve human beings and not the other way around, and that each case has to be judged on its own merits. It's about the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. So yes says Jesus through his actions. If you're really hungry and have no food, you can pick corn on the Sabbath. King David did as much. And yes, if a person is suffering, you can help them on the Sabbath, as he did in curing the man with the withered hand. No, you're not relieved of the responsibility of supporting your elderly parents by giving your money to the church instead, as he chides people in the Gospel of Mark. If a woman is caught in the act of adultery, as we saw in the Gospel of John, you can show mercy instead of automatically stoning her, as the law requires. And in that story, I still want to know, if she was caught in the act of adultery, where's the guy? Why did they only bring her and not the man? But that's an aside. So Jesus' answer to the scribes and the Pharisees about the greatest commandment is meant to bring them back from a focus on the letter of the law to the spirit that created it in the first place. Love God with all you've got and keep the love of self and the love of neighbor in a healthy balance. It's the power of that love that should guide our decisions. And if we did that, there would be no need for mountains of laws to define what is allowed for in every possible circumstance. The law of love allows law to live and breathe like the God it's supposed to represent. The law of Moses, which primarily spelled out what people shouldn't do, and the words of the prophets, which on page after page of the Bible call out for proactive works of justice and mercy, are summed up, Jesus says, in the commands to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now in the Gospel of John, As Jesus is instructing his disciples at the Last Supper, he gives the great commandment a bit of a different twist. He says, I give you a new commandment. He says that just after Judas has left the room to betray him. A new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another technically is not really a new commandment. Love one another and love your neighbor as yourself are pretty similar. What Jesus adds here is the answer to an obvious question. Remember when the great commandment about loving the neighbor is quoted to one of the scribes, 
he famously asks for clarification. Well, who is my neighbor? And the parable of the Good Samaritan follows in Luke 10. So when Jesus gives a command to love one another, it's natural that somebody's going to ask, well, how do you do that exactly? What does love entail? That, I think, is exactly the question that God was trying to answer by living a human life in Jesus. And Jesus confirms that. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. Loving one another doesn't mean running barefoot through flowers into each other's arms. It means living life the way Jesus did, expressing love in ways that were both obvious and subtle. The love of Jesus for his disciples included compassionate healing and patient teaching, even when the disciples were being so dense that Jesus would cry out in frustration, Are you still so dull? It included letting the disciples struggle and even fail as they learned to be faithful. Jesus took them into uncomfortable situations, even into Samaria, the heartland of their greatest enemy, to show how to love those that they were taught to hate. Jesus provided food when they had none, courage when theirs failed, and forgiveness even when they denied him in his hour of greatest need. And he tied a towel around his waist and washed their feet like a servant. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That, of course, was also the purpose of the Ten Commandments. Keeping God's law was not just a way to keep order in society. It was a form of witness, a way to proclaim to the world the nature of the God who held their ultimate allegiance. Remember that although many of the Ten Commandments appear in other legal codes of the time, the one to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy is unique in all the law codes of the time. It's a way of being set apart. And that has not changed, as Jesus shows, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Being a disciple of Jesus isn't proven in the voting booth. It's not proven by the number of Sundays we show up at church or the dollar amount of our offerings. It's not proven when we recite the creed or profess that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. The way that the world will know that it's Jesus whom we follow is by our love. Love for God, love for ourselves, love for our neighbor, and even love for our enemies. When we fail in love, we've taken God's name in vain, because as 1 John 4 verse 8 tells us quite simply, God is love. For us to take God's name on ourselves as Christians, and then identify God's behavior with things that are not loving, is blasphemy. We are called to show in our lives the love of God, That's our witness. We're not called to corner people and make them profess a certain doctrine of the atonement. We're not called to have God all figured out and be able to predict who goes to heaven and who doesn't. We're called to tie a towel around our waists and serve. We're called to walk together into the heartland of the enemy and to show compassion there. We're called to heal and teach and sometimes to let a loved one struggle to find their own strength. We're called to forgive and to share a meal even with the one who betrays us. That's what love does, and we know that because that's what Jesus did. He says that if we do that, 
we are keeping all of the commandments of the law and all of the dictates of the prophets. That's why he said he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Moses wrote it. Jesus lived it. And if we want to be his disciples, we're called to live it too. Amen. Thanks for subscribing to Spirit Walkers. And again, next week, the weekend of the 16th, 17th, there won't be any Spirit Walkers that comes out because I'll be preaching this and doing some other things. Uh, so I'll see you the following weekend or talk to you or whatever it is we do in this podcast. Mm-hmm.